Attention Ditto Heads. Attention Bo Scouts. Goes by the student Bo Snurdly. It's time for the soul of excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now here's Bo Snurdly. Welcome to your Tuesday Rush Hour here on WABC. If you'd like to be part of the program, 800 848 is the number to call, 800-848-WABC. Mark is going to be with us today, not Mark Stein, Mark Morano. For those of you that don't know, Mark Morano was one of Rush's crew. Back in the TV show days, did a lot of work with the show and with Rush and with all of us regarding the global warming issue. Roy Spencer worked a lot with Rush, too. I mean, he just contributed a lot to the show. That was his guy also. But we haven't, I haven't talked to Mark in ages, so this will be great. We're going to talk about a lot of things concerning Climate change, as you know, there is a uh, hurricane that is headed toward uh, the western part of Florida, supposedly then clear and go up north and hit some of the southern states. I think probably later in the week, New York might get a little bit of It's supposed to go out to sea. That's what they're saying. And they've got another one that's coming in Franklin from the east that's heading near Bermuda, but then that's supposed to stay out at sea too. So I don't know yet whether there will be residual rains from all of that good stuff, but the reporting on this one coming to Florida is, of course, over the top. It's going to be a Cat 3, going to be a Cat 4. Uh, I have been through Cat 3 and Cat 4 hurricanes. They are not fun. So those of you who listen from the Sunshine State, if you're in the way of that thing and it's targeting you, get out. You don't want to make a mistake. If it's a cat four and you you're, you're you're and you're not ready for it, oh boy. There are plenty of news stories today to choose from. Curtis sent me um uh the mayor bashing all over him. We have that clip of Mayor Adams bashing on Clerk Curtis. Okay, why don't you just play that? Well, any time you start out a question with the name Curtis Sliwa, that in itself states that it would do a disservice to me and other New Yorkers for me to even respond to that. Curtis Sliwa? I mean, I mean, if you go look in a dictionary for the word buffoon and tell me what picture you come up with. That's that's it. You know, you say what you want about Curtis, Mr. Mayor. Curtis has done more to protect New Yorkers than you ever will, and then you have. So you can continue to ridicule him, make fun of him, call him all sorts of names, like you do everybody. I mean, you lash out at anyone who raises serious objections to you. That poor lady that was at the town hall that you accused of with that little racist tirade you did with her, and there have been others. I am the man. Curtis Okay. What is not in doubt is that the leadership of New York City leaves much to be desired. Just like the leadership elsewhere. 
if you go, you look at the mayors of these major cities. I mean, let's look. Let's look at the mayor of Los Angeles, Ms. Bass, who took over from Mayor Garcetti. Los Angeles is a shambles. Look at San Francisco. Mayor Breed. Now, I have a little bit of sympathy for Mayor Breed. She tried to correct some of the things that her predecessor left her, but San Francisco's a mess. Look at Atlanta. Look at Detroit. Look at New York. There is a story today that both New York and San Francisco, it's in one of the government pubs. Um, It's either Route 50 or uh, uh, government exec. There's a story today that because the post-COVID funds for mass transit are running out now, the, the Metropolitan Transit Authority and whatever they call it on the left coast are scrambling trying to figure out how they're going to plug budget holes next year because reader, uh, ridership is down. Why is ridership down? Because anybody that doesn't have to be on a New York subway won't go on a New York subway any longer because they're afraid for their lives. And, Mr. Mayor, that's on you. We have seen in this city what a robust approach to criminals and not allowing criminal behavior results in. We've seen it. That's on you. That's on this insanely ridiculous policy that has been embraced by the city council to let these criminals roam the streets. Plenty of blame to go around there. And then dealing with these illegal immigrants that are here. Look, sooner or later, this is going to result in something that will cost someone their lives. I'm sorry to say it, but that's the history of it. It has been the history of it. It is the history of it. And always we get this sort of response from these public officials like Mayor Adams, they want to be held blameless for the conditions that they create and point fingers elsewhere. We'll see how long that's sustainable. In Chicago, get this. Get this. Here's the headline from the Washington Post. TV news crew robbed at gunpoint while reporting on armed robbers. This is what happened in Chicago. As a Chicago TV crew was covering a spike in armed robberies, their reporting took an ironic twist Monday when they were robbed at gunpoint while filming. A reporter and photographer were about to film a live shot before 5 a.m. in the Wicker Park neighborhood when a black SUV and a gray sedan pulled up. The Chicago Police Department said in a statement to the Washington Post, three male suspects left the vehicle wearing ski masks and displaying firearms at the TV crew. The men demanded money from the crew before stealing the camera used to film the story. 
on robberies, as well as two bags of equipment and the photographer's backpack. The president of NABIT out there, that's the uh, the union, said that the offenders then took, no, no, this is the police spokesperson who said it, after they robbed them of the camera they were using to film their report about the robberies that were going on in Chicago, in this neighborhood, took two more bags of equipment, took the photographer's backpack, then the offenders took the victim's personal belongings before returning back to their vehicles and fleeing. No injuries were reported, but there were no suspects in custody. So Chicago TV sends out a crew to talk about the armed robberies. What happens? (laughs) They get robbed. They get robbed, including the camera that they were using to report to viewers and show viewers the neighborhood where these robberies were occurring. That's Chicago today. Same thing could happen in New York. Same thing could happen in any of these cities. Uh, There are other lawsuits, by the way, that are going on, some of them not related to this, and some of them out of the country. Before we go to Mark Morano, I guess we'll just delve into a few of these stories. These are normally stories I'd put aside till later in the show, but I want to get them out of the way. Burger King is being sued. Yes, my friends, Burger King is being sued. Let's see if the staff can guess why. Diego, why would you think someone would want to sue Burger King? Because the impossible burgers are cooked in um, grease that is made from real beef. That is my guess. That's a good guess, but that's not it. Philip there. Phil, why do you think Burger King is being sued? It's mad over here today, uh, but nonetheless, uh, I will give you an answer as to why I think uh, they're getting sued. I think they're getting sued over that stupid song they have, the Whopper, Whopper, Bigger, Whopper. Maybe somebody's going insane. I'm not going to, I'm just looking at me. That that It's just annoying. Good guess again, but not it. All right, all right. Here's why Burger King is being sued. Customers in a proposed class action suit accuse Burger King of portraying their burgers with ingredients that overflow the bun, making it appear that the burgers are 35% larger and contain more than double the meat as the chain serves. So they looked at the ad picture of the burger, and they're saying the real burgers don't look like this. The real burgers aren't this big. And believe it or not, a judge, a U.S. judge, rejected Burger King's bid to dismiss this crazy this lawsuit that they make their Whopper burger appear larger than it actually is. 
in his decision, the judge says that this is a matter for a jury to decide whether U.S. District Judge Roy Altman in Miami says that the Burger King folks must defend against the claim that it's depiction of Whopper Burgers on in-store menu boards mislead reasonable customers. Somebody actually did this. They go in and they looked at the, the menu board and they said, you know, that burger there doesn't look like this burger. I think I'm going to go to court and sue Burger King. A judge gets this lawsuit and says, by golly, by me, I think I agree with them. We'll have to let a jury decide. These pictures shouldn't look so good. This is a, It's not just one person. It is. It's a class action. Have you heard what's going on in Uganda? Well... This is a troubling story, my friends. For many of you, it will be a very troubling story. A 20-year-old man has become the first Ugandan to be charged with aggravated homosexuality, an offense that is punishable by death under the country's recently enacted anti-gay laws. I don't know who wrote that, but anti-gay laws. Okay. Defying pressure from Western governments and organizations, Joe Biden has been ragging Uganda for this. Uganda in May enacted one of the world's harshest laws. This is the way that this is written, targeting the LGBT community. It prescribes life in prison for same-sex intercourse, the death penalty can apply in cases deemed aggravated, which include repeat offenses, gay sex that transmits terminal illness, or same-sex intercourse with a minor, an elderly person, or a person with disabilities. Now, Reuters, reporting this, have seen the charge sheet. The guy, this 20-year-old, has been charged with aggravated homosexuality after he performed unlawful sexual intercourse with a 41-year-old man. They didn't go into the details on what's aggravated about it. There are four other people that have been charged under these new laws. Uganda has not executed anyone in about 20 years, but capital punishment is still on the books. We'll be keeping an eye on that one. You heard Rudy talk about how the Republicans in Georgia have circled around with the Democrats. There's another story about that. The former Georgia lieutenant governor, Jeff Duncan was on CNN. See a CNN? That was a slip. CNN. He said 
everything we need to know, this is talking about Donald Trump. This is what the former lieutenant governor said talking about Donald Trump. Everything we need to see and not choose him as our nominee, including the fact that he's got the moral compass of more like an axe murderer than a president. So according to the former lieutenant governor in Georgia, President Trump has got the moral compass of an axe murderer. You want to know why this case in Georgia is proceeding? These are the Republicans in Georgia. I mentioned that yesterday. The Republicans in Georgia are among some of the biggest Trump haters in the country. You want to know why Fannie felt free to go ahead with this case? This is why. They have circled the wagons with Democrats against Trump, the elected class of Republicans in Georgia. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley with you. It is Bo Snurley's Rush Hour. 1958. A star was born. The one, the only, M.J. Michael Jackson, born on this day in 1958. Singer, songwriter, performer. Recognized as the most successful entertainer of all time. Happy birthday, Michael Jackson. 800-848-WABC is our telephone number. Shower with Bo Snurdly. Rush on 77 WABC. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. James Golden, known popularly as Bo Snurdly. This is The Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly. Rush. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mumbo number five. Nineteen ninety nine. Lou Bega goes to number one with this one. Mumbo. Number five. And as I continue, you know they're getting sweeter. So what can I do? I really bag you, my lord. To me, learn is just like a sport. I have some recommendations for you. I rarely do this. This song is so good. A little bit of fun. 
Okay, one of my listeners sent me an album, um, and one of our listeners, one of our friends here at the program, and I'll have to get back to him. He sent it through me on uh, one of the social media sites, and I downloaded it, and I listened to it, and it blew my freaking mind. Her voice is beautiful. Her name is Lindsay Webster. And she has, to me, a voice that just caught me from the very beginning. And I just love it. So, you know, you may want to check it out. I don't know where she came from. I have to read a little bit more about her and learn a little bit more about her. But it's a beautiful presentation. I also watched last night a documentary called Zero Gravity. Zero Gravity is on, it is a documentary about the life of the icon, the American composer, musician, Wayne Shorter. And it is just terrific. And so if those of you who like those sorts of documentaries are looking for something, or if you've seen it, you want to say something about it, it's it's a beautifully well-done documentary that goes in depth on the life, the upbringing, the accomplishments, and it gives a really good bird's-eye view into the character of Wayne Shorter, one of America's iconic musicians who passed away earlier this year like to recommend that for you, too. I didn't know until I, well, I don't want to give anything away. There's there's something in there that, that got me. Now, we're not going to be able to play any music from this person, too. I just want to acknowledge today is the birthday of the bird, Yardbird, Charlie Parker. You're talking about Birdland, 52nd Street, New York, Birdland, Charlie Parker, and what Charlie Parker did with Bebop and the group that of young musicians that he came up with that played that changed American music and changed music all around the world. Born August 29th, 1920th. So I just wanted to acknowledge also the birthday of Charlie Parker. There is a great column today in The Federalist. Democrats aren't interfering in 2024. With Trump trial, they're rigging it. The article is by John Daniel Davidson. He points out what we know, that March 4th, the day that she set for the trial is the day before Super Tuesday, when more than a dozen states from California to Texas to Virginia will hold Republican primary elections. What a coincidence that she would pick that day. Just out of the blue, just pick that day. What this means, says Mr. Davidson, is that Trump, the Republican front runner by a large margin, will not be able to campaign ahead of the most important week on the GOP primary calendar. It also means he'll likely be tied up in court a week later on March 12th when four more states hold primary elections. But this isn't merely election interference. It is a naked attempt to rig the 2024 election. The timing here is important. 
because not only will Trump be pulled off the campaign trial at a crucial time, he will almost certainly be convicted over the summer. After all, the jury in this case will be drawn from a pool that voted 92% for Joe Biden. No matter how outlandish and unconstitutional the charges are, no matter how utterly politicized the process is, a D.C. jury is going to convict Trump. And you can find the rest of that story at thefederalist.com today. Oh, by the way, we had an incident at the Daily B yesterday. Somebody either trolled us, hacked us, or whatever. We got it fixed now. Yeah, it was crazy. So anyway, um, that article by John Daniel Davison is worth reading. If you're the kind of person that books, marks articles and holds on to them, this one's worth holding on. Now, when we get back, we are going to be joined by Mark Morano from The Climate Depot. As I said, for many, many years, worked with Rush. The Rush Limbaugh Show worked with Rush, his man on the climate. This song began a five-week run at number one. You know the song. Rick Astley on WABC coming back. And your calls are going to be part of the show to 800-848-WABC, 848-9222. Rush Hour with Bo Snerdly. Bo Snerdly. On 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. It's the Rush Hour with Bo Snerdly. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snerdly. Rush. Now here's Bo Snerdly. <laughs> Say it again. In 1970, this song was number one this week. And it would stay number one for three whole weeks. Edwin Starr, Motown artist on WABC, with us is the head the head honcho, the big guy of the Climate Depot, Mark Morano. Mark, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, James. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Long time. It has, it has been ages since we, you know, you, you, we met at the Rush Limbaugh show. You, you did amazing work. Yes. You took the ball and, and ran with it in terms of the climate. Tell everybody how you came to meet Rush and, and work with the show. 
Oh, well, thanks. Uh, actually, I met Rush in 1991 at a... Uh, Boy, it was a, some kind of roast in Washington, D.C. I remember Bill Bennett was there, but I had a chance to talk to him. And then the following year, he started his radio show. So I reached out to the TV show because I was going to both conventions, Republican and Democrat, in 1992. This was the year Bill Clinton was nominated. And I said, hey, I'm going to the conventions. I'd love to shoot some stuff for your show. That's how it all began. I, I interviewed Bill Clinton. I interviewed uh, all the congressmen, senators, White House spokesmen. Uh, at throughout that fall, and he dubbed me Our Man in Washington. And then you guys sent me to Arkansas as well for the TV show. And I spent a week there during the Clinton transition. And the rest is history, because then I came back and covered Washington for him, uh, you know, some, sometimes several segments a week. And I wore the hat and trench coat. And Rush had a lot of fun with it. He, he always said it was one of the most popular parts of the show. And they always obscured my face. I sometimes had a blue dot at the back of my head. Uh, you could always hear my voice and I would be running around. But my claim to fame there, I guess you could call it that, was when the Clinton White House seized my, the Rush Limbaugh TV camera uh, and it made NBC News and Brit Hume was all upset about it. And they were forced to apologize. The Clinton White House had to apologize and face public shame. And you have since gone on to found the Climate Depot. Tell us what that is, Mark. Well, I'm from Rush Limbaugh's TV show, and that ended, I guess, uh, what, 1996. I went to work on a, as a journalist, an investigative news show, and then I went um, as an investigative journalist for Cybercast News, a couple of different shows. But I went to work to the U.S. Senate Environment and Public Works Committee, and I was working uh, on the climate issue when Al Gore's movie came out in 2006. And I worked yeah. all the way through when Obama was elected, fighting cap and trade. And then from there, I left the Senate and started Climate Depot. And the idea was not to be – I was going to be the anti-New York Times, the anti-Washington um, Post, and the anti-mainstream media. And I've been covering, you know, a 1,000 dissenting scientists. I go to all the U.N. climate summits, and I report on it all at Climate Depot to give people the real facts. And I've been doing that since 2009 now. It's amazing work you do. So let's talk some specifics about some things in the news. Democrat lawmakers recently blamed, some of them, blamed the recent wildfires in Hawaii on climate change. Of course, there were others who were blaming it on the space laser. There are others who were blaming it on those who want to take property whose property is are painted in blue and don't get hurt by fires. But aside from that, there have been a large number of Democrats, including Senators Ed Markey, Jeff Merkley, Dick Durbin, and House members Ro Kahana, Cory Bush, who claim that these fires in Hawaii were sparked by man-made global warming. This week, the power company out there admitted that they were responsible for the first fire. And there are many who think... Yes that those power lines also contributed to some of the other fires. What is this reporting, and, and they never back down, is this consistent with what you have seen over the years at Climate Depot, these claims that man-made global warming is in fact responsible for so many things, and in reality it's not the case? Yeah, 
I mean, this is what they do. And this is equivalent of going to the Atlantic City boardwalk, finding a palm reader, and they'll, and they'll tell you, I see many bad things happening in your life. And then afterward, if anything bad happens in your life, a car accident, financial distress, health challenges, you can always say that palm reader predicted it. They've done the exact same thing with climate. They said man-made climate change will cause many bad things to happen. So now, anytime a bad thing happens, guess what? They were right. They predicted it. That's the mentality. If you actually dissect it, though, on any you know, scientific level, we know that wildfires are down dramatically globally, both in the United States and globally. I mean, dramatic drops from 100 years ago. We know the climate death rate is up. We know all forms of extreme weather, hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, droughts, wildfires, are either at no trend or declining trends on climate timescales of 30, 50, 100 years. This is even acknowledged in the United Nations reports. It's buried, and what they try to do is just make scary predictions. You know, when current reality fails to alarm, they make scarier and scarier predictions of the future. So in the case of Hawaii, it would make no sense that it was a man-made climate change when global wildfires are not on an increase, when U.S. wildfires are not on an increase in level based on those timescales. Now, they got part of it right, James. It is man-made. It was man-made uh, mismanagement from top to bottom. They were warned in 2018-19 that the, the undergrowth and the grasses, the invasive grasses, had to be taken care of. They were warned that the power lines needed upgrading and shoring up, and they had, were sparking. And they instead focused all their energy on being the first state of all 50 states in the United States to be carbon neutral, to have net zero emissions by 2045, patting themselves on the back. They misallocated resources to the green energy agenda instead of to land management and instead of to uh, up upgrading the power system so that it wouldn't spark and cause fires. And then on top of that, to get a higher mortality rate, they don't, they don't sound warnings, the sirens. They don't release the water. And if you look at what the Associated Press is reporting, and this is the most troubling, if you listen to the Hawaiian authorities in, in the evacuation, if you listen to what they told you, you had a higher chance of death than if you went exactly opposite of what they told you and went the other direction. So it's just it was a disaster from beginning to end. And, of course, the governor and, of course, the local officials all want to talk climate change because then it excuses them of responsibility. In fact, they can brag that they were the ones fighting this fire because they were going, you know, the first state to go net zero by 2045. That's the absurdity we're living in in 2023, James. They're going to blame what we just described on climate change. Let me turn and switch gears here. There is a lot of concern. I wonder if you can give any insight into this. There is a lot of concern over mysterious whale deaths on the East Coast. Yes. And no one seems to know why. There are a lot of people that believe that these whale deaths are connected somehow to these offshore energy products, uh, the projects, like these offshore windmills and all that stuff, that they're, the wind towers that they're putting up. I don't know whether there's any proof for that, but something is happening there, and the, the part that seems concerning, as well as the whale deaths, is that the environmental groups who once upon a time led the Save the Whale movements could care less, apparently, about what's happening to the whales now that people are pointing towards some of these green energy product projects. What can you tell us about what, what is happening out there with the whales? Well, great question. I was just out about a month ago. 
uh, in early August out off the coast of Newport, Rhode Island. I was 20 miles off of Martha's Vineyard. We were in a with other with fishermen out there. And, and liberal and conservative activists. I was out there with there were trans rights activists from San Francisco who joined our boat delegation to protest these windmills out in the Atlantic. And we know for a fact now that the numbers of the whale beachings and deaths have have increased now to a, a 60 recorded whale deaths. Uh, and, and that's since just t- December of 2022. That is at a pace almost double, I believe, the last stat I saw for a whole year. So something is amiss. And there really hasn't been any change in boat traffic. There's been no other changes. The only significant change is they're putting these offshore wind construction and wind turbines, a lot of this now being funded, of course, by the Inflation Reduction Act of the Biden administration, in areas that had never even had the boat traffic. And what this does is it's messing up the whale's sonar, and it's causing mothers to be separated uh, from the young, and it's causing a whole slew of confused whales that are ending up beached in higher mortality. And the other interesting aspect is these offshore wind, because it's politically protected, meaning uh, you know, if this were a fossil fuel project, it would have been shut down day one if there was an endangered species component. But because wind and solar uh, as well are protected political narrative uh, energy sources, they get actual legal takings of the species. They're allowed to kill. In one case, I think it's the right whale. They're allowed to kill more than there are known species of that endangered whale because it's politically protected uh, energy source that's being pushed by our corporate uh, corporate media, foundations, and government and environmental activists, United Nations, there's almost no way they can stop it. There's a few honest environmentalists out there fighting it. One of them is Michael Schellenberger, who just did a documentary on this. And I haven't seen the whole documentary yet, uh, but it's called Thrown to the Wind. And they go through and detail it, and they use the latest science from, from the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration and wildlife biologists marine mammal specialists, and there is a there is a there there, and this is a huge issue, and the environmentalists have to be, basically remain silent because they're getting funded by the climate agenda, and they can't go against the climate agenda because windmills, even though they provide, you know, about 1%, uh, actually 3% of total U.S. energy roughly in that area, uh, are, are seen as the solution to climate change. Well, that's about the time we have for the day, Mark, but I want you to come back on a somewhat regular basis because I want to talk to you about electric cars. I want to talk to you about recycling. All of the things that go into this environmental reporting and what kids are being taught in school. So let's make a plan for you to come back with us and talk about some of the other things regarding the climate and the environment. In the meantime, tell people where they can find you, Mark. I'm at uh, climatedepot.com and at Twitter at at climatedepot. Thank you so much, James. Thank you, Mark. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley. It is time for us to check in with Lou Dobbs here on WABC on this, the birthday of Michael Jackson, Charlie Parker, Dinah Washington, and so many others. This is the Rush Hour with Bo Snerdly. Bo Snerdly on 77 WABC. 
James Golden, known popularly as Bo Snurdly. This is The Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly. Rush. 1964. Roy Orbison releases... Well, the record company releases this one from Roy Orbison. You're going to hear it again in about a month. Because it took four weeks from the date this was released today before this was the number one song in America. Inspired by his wife. Isn't that always a great story? Let's head to the telephones. Bobby in Staten Island, you're on WABC, Bo Snurley's Rush Hour. How are you? How you doing, Bo? Bo, I'd like to know what you think about it. How come they don't put the tents for the immigrants in Central Park? I don't know. I wish I could have an answer for you. I don't know why they're doing what they're doing. Here's what I really don't understand. I don't understand why the Biden administration can let 7 million illegal immigrants cross in the border and there is not one agency of the federal government that is saying, wait a minute, this should not be happening. Let us start deporting on a massive scale everyone that truly should not be in this country. Instead, we're all trying to scramble around figuring out, okay, how do we provide the resources? What is the best way? No, the answer is not providing the resources. The answer is to send everyone that should not be in America in this latest wave of illegal immigration, send, return them to their homeland. That is the answer, not to buy into the premise that it is our obligation to provide resources for people that should not have been allowed to come into the country anyway. We are the only country that I'm aware of that does this. You can't go into Europe. If you're an illegal immigrant, well, I shouldn't say that. They don't make it easy. You can't just get work. If you go to some of the countries that I've visited in Asia, you're not gonna you're not gonna just go in and say, Oh, I guess I'll overstay my visa and that's okay. Oh, I'm here illegal. No. You can't do this in Canada. Canada would not allow this to take place on the scale that we are allowing it in. Guess where else you can't do it? You can't do it in Mexico. They stop and return people coming, crossing over their southern border illegally. So we are being hosed as a country, and we shouldn't even buy into the premise anymore of, and this argument of why don't we provide this resource or that resource wrong. Why don't we repatriate people that should not be in this country legally? That's my response. Thank you, Bobby. I appreciate that. Forest Hills, New York. And Stan, how are you, Stan? You know, I'm a Democrat, and you know uh, I'm liberal, but I agree with you a thousand percent on this. Don't get a heart attack. Let me tell you why, quickly. I know you're running out of time. Uh, If Barack Obama can throw out two million people, Joe Biden can throw out seven million people. I mean, Obama did it. He did it with uh, ISIS, uh, the peak government. I see the possibility of exactly what you're saying, but on a larger scale. You have to hire more and so forth. But I think, I, and I'm telling you, 
I don't understand why the president is letting. And I, I don't, I don't have that either with his brain or nothing. He knows what's. I don't understand why he's not doing it. I mean, I wanted troops down there four years ago and barbed wire. So in this particular situation, I agree with you. But I think if Barack Obama can throw out two million, which he did, I think this administration can do it. If he's reelected, maybe he will. I don't know. I'm being honest on that. If he is reelected, that number will go from seven to fourteen million. He has no. He, he and Mayorkas have shown no, no, not one effort that in place ever that they are willing. They won't even admit that this is a crisis when they are questioned about this and say, "Is this a crisis?" Mayorkas gives these weaselly answers. They won't even acknowledge what it is they have done. I know you wanted to talk about the Republicans in Georgia. We can do that tomorrow. Uh, Stan, Stan, I always love hearing from you. Yes, you're a liberal, you're a Democrat, but that, that Stan is a perfect example. There are things that transcend politics, and there are things that people can agree on despite the partisan lines that ideology has over many of us in this country. Well, my friends, time up again. Always comes so quickly. Thank you for being here. Love, so much gratitude for you joining me every day for Buzz Lindley's Rush Hour. God willing, we're here tomorrow, same time. In the meantime, may God bless and protect each and every single one of you, your family, your loved ones. Thank you again. God willing, we'll see you tomorrow. Bye. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.